fullback belly. Three tight ends, including Haydner. Kuhn is the fullback with the first and goal. Kuhn gets the ball. Final try to Round number two, welcome to the Fantasy Fullback Dive, episode number 92, where we're going to debut the Monday Market Report. This is going to be every Monday, we're going to kind of debut who's risen, fallen, who's gotten hurt that week, uh, depending on preseason action for the next four weeks, and then going into the regular season. We're going to be consistently doing this, assuming that you guys like it. would love to hear your feedback after this show, and let me know how it goes. Obviously, we're also live streaming this on Facebook, so if you're tuning in live, welcome to the show. I hope you enjoy it, uh, and we'll see how this goes. I've been experimenting with OBS and different menus and trying to get this right, uh, so hopefully we can be doing these live streams and interacting, getting your questions in, all that stuff, so this is as helpful as possible for everybody out there. I am, of course, the Wolf of Roto Street, rotostreetjournal.com, where we feed and breed fantasy football wolves. I'm here again with the Fantasy Fullback Dive, where we paved your path to 2019 titles, live on Facebook. So today, we're going to, again, the Monday Market Report. It's Wednesday. I get it. Doesn't mean they make the most convenient way to debut a Monday Market Report, but the idea came to me today, and it's right on the eve, right on the eve, ladies and gentlemen of preseason action kicking off. We're about to have live football, folks, and I cannot wait. I know we had the Hall of Fame game last year, but or last week. doesn't count. That does not really count. There's no starters in there. This is where it really starts. It's preseason week one in the next couple weeks. And anyone that tells you preseason doesn't matter is full of shit. I get that you shouldn't draw overly huge conclusions and throw your whole big board into a frenzy, but there's going to be usage trends and players moving all over the place, kind of roll, opportunity, all that stuff is going to be illuminated over these next couple weeks. You saw McCaffrey last year, for example, getting all the first team reps. Uh, CJ Anderson wasn't even a, a scene from until the second quarter. And that kind of hinted this guy was going to be a monster. He then proceeds to play 92% of the snaps, had a bunch of 100% snap games in a row, and was the dominant workhorse that Nerve Torner we thought could have been coach speak. And then as soon as the preseason hit, we realized, oh my God, he is going to use this guy as a 30 plus touch guy. And it was insane. The fantasy results were obviously spoken for themselves. We saw Sanders go into the slot and ended up being a wide receiver 10 as Case Keenum's slot slot there. So we had tons of interesting develops, developments over the preseason. So anyone that tells you preseason doesn't matter, it's full of shit, it's extra data points we can collect, and it's going to kick off tomorrow. But before it does, we want to kind of take that market check because values have already been over all over the place, rising and falling. Uh, and, you know, it's just there's some injuries that have been crucial. My big board is all over the place right now. Uh, and I want to make sure that we cover all those names. Uh, and you can see the menu right here. We're going to start with risers, kind of go with the positives here uh, to start us off. And that's going to be Lamar Miller to kick us off. He's already up to RB26 in my big board. This is one of the most unexciting players, somebody I never truly wanted to own. Dan Heggs, Jimmy, thanks for coming in. Let me know if the audio is working. I know there's some issues when I first tried to go live. But he's up to RB26, 59 overall, and anyone that's been following the news, it should be pretty obvious why. 
Dante Foreman has been cut. All this praise, light years ahead of last year, looking more fast and elusive than he ever has, uh, ready to explode in the number two role. All this incredible praise ends up coming up to nothing. He ends up getting cut. He signs with the Colts. That's going to be another thing we could analyze at another time. Maybe some interesting TD upside. What does that mean for Marlon Mack? We'll have a ton of time to unravel that a little bit later. But let's focus on Lamar Miller. Who is in his way to three-down workhorse duties in one of what could be a top five attack in the NFL, top 11 last year, dealing with injuries and whatnot, dealing with Deshaun Watson rounding into form. And now this year, when they were all healthy just a couple seasons ago, this was put, this offense was putting up 40 points a game. For perspective, the Chiefs were right around 33 or so points per game last year, and that was one of the top three scoring attacks in NFL history. So this could be a historically high-powered offense with the Texans, and this could be the back that's going to get 18 to 20 touches because there's truly no one else there. He apparently shed about eight pounds or so this offseason, tried to focus on regaining some of that explosiveness. We saw with Miami. We've called him a pedestrian, a plotter, because he has been one of the league's least efficient backs, Lamar Miller, over these last Last couple seasons, but man, maybe if he regains some of that explosion and this offense starts to light it up, it could turn around and it could turn around fast. They've made some offensive line improvements. I'm praying they trade for Trent Williams. That would be a huge gain. But either way, Lamar Miller's been the RB16, RB19, RB22 these last couple seasons with more congestion in that backfield. Alfred Blue is gone. It's 170 touches last year. Now Dante Foreman again, now released. And this offense could really click for a full season if we somehow get six. 16 games of Will Fuller, which I'm pipe dream, I get it, but still, if all that comes together, this could be a ridiculous season for Lamar Miller, which is crazy to say. I'm still clearly not all that high at RB26, but as a flex in round six, I mean, does you get more higher volume in this type of offense in round six? I don't think so. And remember, Bill O'Brien, very run heavy in his time with the Texans as a head coach. First, fifth, sixth, 11th, and fourth in rush attempts over that span. And again, nobody in Lamar Miller's way from taking an enormous slice of that ground pie, uh, receptions, all that stuff. So again, you're not getting those oohs and ahs, but I think Lamar Miller, one of the biggest gainers so far this offseason, and definitely a guy I'm targeting for a safe you know, and upside flex. RB8 just a couple seasons ago when everybody was healthy could hit that range again for such a cheap price. Worth a look there. And now we're going to move on to Carrion Johnson, a guy that I was not overly high on entering this offseason. I uh, was significantly lower, like 20 spots lower than the experts. I'm still seven spots lower than the ECR right now. Uh, so I'm not as high as everybody on this guy, but man, I've started to take a little bit of a turn because Theo Riddick has been released. And that gives Carrion Johnson some insane receiving upside. A stat that I kind of uncovered where there's only two games last year Theo Riddick missed. One of them was against my Miami when Carrion Johnson set his career high in rushing at 159 yards. But the one I'm more intrigued by, that was a blowout, it was whatever. He crushed a shitty defense. But the one I'm more interested in is against the Seahawks the next week. They were trailing the entire game outside the first quarter. They scored a few points early, but then Russell Wilson goes, puts up 21 points in the in the second quarter. They're trailing the rest of the game. Carrion Johnson was in for 81% of those snaps, which tells me this guy's locked into third down duties without Theo Riddick there. Theo Riddick has crushed 60 plus receptions for three straight seasons, 70 or so targets every season. That's about five catches a game. That's nearly a touchdown a game for Carrion Johnson. And that's the one worry I have for him speaking about touchdowns is CJ Anderson has been signed. It's a better LeGarrette Blunt. They gave LeGarrette Blunt a significant amount of volume last year. And now you get a guy that's better than him, much more efficient at the stripe and just 
averaged a shitload more carries. To me, that's that's got to be worrisome. You got to be a little bit nervous about what Legarrette Blunt uh, being replaced by C.J. Anderson, a better talent, could mean for Carry On Johnson's output. Uh, but ultimately, this is a guy that's got a ton more receiving upside with Theo Riddick uh, now released. I used to always say he was kind of stuck in between the 20s purgatory, carry on Johnson, losing touchdowns to CJ, losing receptions to Theo Riddick. But now he's at least got that third down roll on lock. And this is the guy that was second in the league in yards per carry last year. A lot of upside with carry on Johnson. Don't ignore the sketchy injury history. There's plenty of that. And I think CJ Anderson makes a very intriguing handcuff. He's kind of already endeared himself to Matt Patricia with that hard nose style, not surprising, but still lots of upside to carry on Johnson. And he's been a big riser on my, my big board this off season, just over these last two weeks. In fact, the running backs coach said something along the lines of there's no reason to set a limit on his touches. We're going to ride the hot hand. And I don't see anyone really in the way of carry on Johnson talent wise, even if CJ Anderson's a better LeGarrette Blunt, if they're truly going to ride the hot hand and feed the guy that deserves it the most, it's going to be uh, carry on Johnson, and we could see some serious volume. So my number three here, I already see CJ throwing up a puke sign, and he, it's not even in regards to this. Uh, and some interesting questions coming in the live feed already. I appreciate the kind words too, the rundown. I, I think it is fire, so I appreciate that. And I think there should be some legit competition for Lamar Miller, but still, there is not. Uh, so we got to treat it as if maybe they trade for Gordon, but they've already said they're not interested in it. But yeah, I would love to see a legit running back go there. But until they do, Lamar Miller will plot his way to RB20 value, maybe even RB15 with even less competition this year. Uh, so yeah, I can see it. Thank you for coming back, Anthony. I know that was annoying dealing with those audio concerns. But number three on this list, as you can see, my, my icon just moved down. That's Todd Gurley, the guy that everyone wants to hate. It's so cliche to hate this guy. As fantasy experts, we need a reason to lower a guy and, and to be down on someone, especially in the early rounds where it's really hard to find warts with a lot of these guys. Gurley certainly has him. The knee last year when he disappeared down the stretch, now we know there's arthritis in that knee. They draft Daryl Henderson. They've re-signed Malcolm Brown to a big contract to make sure they get him back. His touches are going to go down. We know that. That's important. But number one of importance is, is Gurley still Todd Gurley? Is he going to be healthy this year? And so far in training camp, the reports have been glowing. And no one's talking about it because, again, everyone wants to hate Gurley. But the athletic reporting just the other day, I'll read the quote. Gurley looked fit, chiseled, ooh, gotta love a good chiseled, and completely healthy on the first day of camp. He was active and decisive as a runner out of the backfield and as a receiver lined up out wide. He had burst, he had energy, and he flew through the practice. Uh, if there's any hint of discomfort in his incredibly analyzed and exhaustingly discussed left knee, he wasn't letting on, quote, it was vintage Gurley. Uh, and McVeigh raved. I thought he looked really good. He was energetic. He had great bounce out there with his teammates. So, very positive reports here on Todd Gurley. And if he's healthy, what the hell do you have against this guy? I get that he could go down to about 70%, 60% even of the work, but this backfield has scored over 440 points in fantasy leagues. And if you give him 60 to 70% of that, that's still going to be way more than his RB10 ADP right now. And that's, again, 60% of that. So you, you're asking for not too much here from a guy that scored 19 and 21 touchdowns over the last two seasons. And that's why I think even if he loses some of those touches and carries to 
Daryl Henderson, an explosive counterpart. They're comparing him to Alvin Kamara. I love Daryl Henderson. This has nothing to do with him. But I don't think they're going to take out the fucking goal line hammer of Todd Gurley, who's been so dominant in short yardage situation these last couple seasons. They're not going to remove him for a little pipsqueak 5'9", explosive change of threat guy. That's going to be all Gurley. Some stats for those goal line uh, carries. He's racked up 69 and 73 carries in the red zone these last two years. That's the second and first most. Uh, he's led the league, obviously, in touchdowns and goal line carries. 18 goal line carries over those seasons. 19 and 21 total TDs. He's just such a beast in that zone blocking. He's such a good receiver, too. He's perfect for that Sean McVay goal of marrying the run and pass games. So I absolutely love Gurley. I know everyone's hating on him, but just keep in mind, he was above 22 fantasy points in uh, 12 of 14 games. Only two times was he under 22. 22 points. That's a shitload. Over se- seven of those games, he was over 30 points. So he won you weeks. He didn't ever lose you a week. He hadn't. He didn't go under 10 points all of last year. He's only gone under 10 points twice in these last two seasons, too. That's insane. That's like 93% of the time he's doing that. So again, th- this is just an insane offense. Over 30 points these last two seasons. A goal line hammer in there and a great receiver. and Just does everything McVay loves. So even if that volume does take a hit, I love that he's looking explosive as ever. The reports where he's going to lose some weight and kind of put a little bit less pressure on the knees and everything so far in camp. He hasn't come out slow, hasn't come out. He's looked more explosive than ever, is what everyone's saying. So you've got to feel a little bit better about Todd Gurley. We got some comments. That's I knew Gurley was going to get the uh, the crowd out here a little riled up. So let's see what we got. It's not about looking healthy. It's about at any moment the knee. Yeah, I get that, Mikey. Absolutely. Like That's the worry. Like Yes, he looks healthy now in camp and not facing full contact. I get it. It's 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 a little bit puffy, but at the same time, you know, and it is more about is he going to make it through 15, 16. It could swell up. He could miss time at any point, but everyone that has ACL surgery has a little bit of arthritis in the knee, and his is the one that's just kind of going under the microscope right now. So all these other guys, we could throw out names that have had ACL surgery, they have arthritis in their knees too. So, you know, yes, I get it could swell up at any point, but they were very diligent in the offseason. It's not like he's coming off an ACL surgery. That's a few years back, unlike other guys were all willing to draft well above him. Uh, so, uh, you know, anyone's knee could get take, take a bad hit, Mikey, and, and go down. This guy's been an Iron Man until the late last season. I'm not worried quite yet. Gurley's upper body is chiseled because he can't work out his legs. Shut up, CJ. This guy's got horse legs, too. He's chiseled up top. He's chiseled down low. The guy's an absolute beast. Highest spot, you probably take Gurley in 12-team. Great question, Omar. I love bringing him up because clearly that's the engagement is Gurley. Uh, Where's the highest I would take him? I think that's a fantastic question. My latest big board, I had him at 8 overall. Uh, There's only, you know, three running backs, really, that I feel significant, or four running backs, rather, that I feel significantly better than uh, about Todd Gurley. That's Alvin Kamara, Christian McCaffrey, uh, Saquon Barkley, who's still, the, the surrounding talent question marks make him almost as risky, in my opinion, but obviously the health is a much bigger risk factor with Gurley. And then David Johnson, I love the air raid, I love the stallion back there. Those are the only four running backs I have above Todd Gurley at this point. I'm still willing to take him right in that first round, so the fact that he falls to mid to even late round two nowadays, my God, I'm going to capitalize that on every single draft. I will own Todd Gurley in every league if I'm drafting towards the bottom of the first or mid-first and I get him in the second. Uh, I take those two receivers, you know, Devontae Adams, Hopkins, so safe. I'd have a hard time passing up on either of those guys for Gurley. Maybe Odell Beckham, but ultimately, I'd love the upside here. I think he's still going to score above 17 touchdowns. I think he's still going to catch 40 to 50 balls. Even with Henderson being that explosive guy he is, I'm still a huge fan of Todd Gurley. 
Uh, any other questions about him? McVeigh must have been saving him for the 2020. <laughs> yeah, exactly, CJ. He definitely was. Right now, Vegas has over under 450 rushing yards. Are you kidding me, Mikey? I will bang that over all day. That's insane. I don't know what the, the money line is on that, is if it's close to even. 450 rushing for Gurley. He could play four games and he's going to hit that number. That's absolutely insane. Uh, so I would hammer that. I don't bet too often. That is a player prop, Mikey. Thank you for pointing that one out. I would hit that one every single time. Uh, that's a concern for every RB. So Matt's on the same you know page as me. Injuries, knees, all that. Everyone can take a bad hit and swell up. It's not like that's exclusive to Gurley. So just to reiterate, to summarize, great commentary. Keep them coming, guys. I really appreciate that during the live feed right here. To me, all this has been much ado about nothing. I think the fact that he showed up looking great is a huge, it alleviates me so much. Everyone wants to downplay that now. Oh, he's healthy now. What about in the season? Everyone wants to hate Gurley. I think he's going to be a monster. I think he's going to still dominate touches at the stripe of the league's most explosive attack. Let's move on, though, to number four on my list, and that's Chris Carson. I've raised this guy up now to 27 overall. So right at the fringe of the second round right there is where I have Chris Carson, where he's ranked almost 20 spots below as a, a fringe fourth rounder in terms of the expert's opinion. And I think that is insane, the value you can get on Chris Carson. Uh, one, because even without any of the positive buzz I'm about to go over, this was the run heaviest attack in the league. 33 carries uh, a game right there. Insane. 48 to 52 run pass ratio is crazy. They averaged 160 rush yards per game last year, tops in the NFL. And Chris Carson had the largest slice last year, was fifth in the league in rushing. He's 100% going to have the largest slice again this year. And now Mike Davis, 170 touches there, is removed. So even more of the biggest ground pie in the NFL is now available to Chris Carson. A lot of people getting their panties in a bunch because Pete Carroll says, oh, it's a 1A, 1B and Rashad Penny's looking great. That's nice. I get it. Rashad Penny has some explosive talent. He was their first-round pick, so I get that they're going to want to get some value out of this guy. But every single report, including from Pete Carroll's mouth himself, is Chris Carson continues to be the best running back on the roster, continues to be in the most freakish shape that Carroll's ever seen. And what I really loved uh, is you already have that huge rushing, rushing floor and ceiling when it's the run-heaviest attack in this guy. Again, like a 230-pound steamroller. If you guys seen his arms, it's like, I mean, yeah, I look kind of like... Chris Carson right here, but he is absurdly jacked. This guy is a bowl, a bowling ball of muscle that steamrolls through defenses and has good elusiveness to go with that. I think he's about fifth in, correct me if I'm wrong, pro football focuses grades in terms of elusiveness and all that breaking broken tackle rate. This guy blew all the advanced analytics out of the water and dominated when he was finally given that attempt. But what I really love, what I've been just hinting at this entire time, is the Seahawks' late, late, latest report is they want to get Chris Carson more involved in the passing game. So you knew you had that humongous floor with the, the rushing upside. Now the ceiling is truly limitless. If they give this guy true three-down workhorse back type of volume, there's no limit to what this guy can do. He was the RB5 last year over those last five weeks when he came back from injury, was completely dominant, and that was without any receiving work. Now you say that you're going to get him more involved. The exact quote from Brian Schottenheimer, we need to get him more involved in the passing game. He's got unbelievable hands. 
It's unbelievable. And he's a problem for people coming out of the backfield. And then Chris Carson kind of added on to that and said he's splitting us out wide. He's putting us in different spots around the field. So we got Carson moving all over in that kind of slot and going outside. And he's got, he has that strong hands. He caught almost all the balls he got last year. And there's tons of early reports in camp that, you know, in the, the two-minute offense, Chris Carson was in there and Russell Wilson was looking to him, dink, 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 a ton of uh, backfield catches over the middle there. I, I was just, you know, with early training camp, whatever. But the fact that they come out and say this and that we're, we're getting reports that he's moving them all over. You have that enormous rushing floor. Now you got a limitless ceiling added on because of the passing game involvement. And this is a guy you can right now get at the end of round four. That is unbelievable to me. I think he's got easy top 10 upside. He's my RB15, which is what he finished last year. And now he's got an even bigger ceiling. And again, I'm, I'm RB15. That seems low when I give you all these information. That's still 10 spots higher than where he's falling with the experts. I don't get what they don't see. I don't get uh, in terms of Carson's talent, in terms of his situation. Everything is beautiful. Other than the injuries, he's gotten a little dinged up in both seasons. But Rashad Penny, you can get in round nine, and he probably has some standalone value. They're saying both of those guys are going to be featured. Uh, so uh, I love loading up on Chris Carson anywhere in mid to late round three where he falls. Again, I'll take him at 27 overalls where I personally value him, but I'm not going to reach if I don't have to. I'll take him round three or late round four. I'm going to end up with Chris Carson in every single draft I do. I think he's fantastic. 20 carries, three catches a game is what Matt Milk is saying here, and I agree. I don't think that's unreasonable. He was already getting those 20-ish carries a game. He had a few more receptions. Even just a few, you add that yardage and the reception points that come with it, that ceiling is going to be limitless. Alrighty, let's move on to rising wide receiver threes. I got three of them for you, and these are guys that were more considered uh, flexes or um, you know, maybe bench guys coming into the offseason. In early camp, the buzz has been so high on these guys, and that includes OTAs too, that I consider them not serviceable, but high upside wide receiver threes at this point. The first one I want to cover, and I've talked about this guy a lot this offseason, and that's D.D. Westbrook. Uh, I'm 82 overall at seven spots higher than the experts. Uh, wide receiver 34 on my rankings. I don't know if this is moving. Uh, but D.D. Westbrook, I love that one. You got the Nick Foles upgrade over um, <laughs> over freaking Blake Bortles. That's obviously a tremendous upgrade. There's no doubt about that. There's no one that can argue those two are even close in talent. Uh, so you get that one huge surrounding talent injection there uh, for D.D. Westbrook. Um, and then I, I love, too, that all almost all his production last year came out of the slot. Let's go with 73.9% of snaps came from the slot. He had the fourth most slot targets in the league. He had the eighth most slot yards. And he had the first most touchdowns of five. All five of his touchdowns came from out of the slot. So D.D. Westbrook has dominated it out of the slot um, it, previously. And now, um, and then... He gets John DeFilippo as his offensive coordinator. For some reason, the menu's not working here. I apologize on that. We're on the rising wide receiver threes if you're tuning in. Uh, I don't know what's going with that. But yeah, Foles for the win, says Austin. And I agree. It's a huge surrounding talent upgrade. And then John DeFilippo, as we were getting at, uh, in terms of that slot, you saw Nelson Aguilar have his only really useful season uh, under John DeFilippo out of the slot. And what was particularly interesting is how they used him vertically out of the slot. We got D.D. Westbrook insane speed. And then you had Adam Thielen. I, I don't, I'm not going to say D.D. Westbrook's on Adam Thielen's level by any means, but he had an absurd amount bathed in targets last year, led the league in fantasy points until John DeFilippo was fired. So this is a guy that loves to scheme slot volume with a weapon that's been so dominant out of the slot. 
lot. And so far in camp, every report is this guy's been unbelievable. They, they labeled him the early standout of 19 camps so far. Uh, that's amazing to hear because he's improved enough as a route runner. He's a memorable play every practice. They're saying he has the look of someone that's about to take a significant leap forward. Uh, and I agree because of the surrounding talent is there. He's going to take a leap forward. The play calling is going to be better suited to his skill set out of the slot. And the fact that he's making all those plays every day in camp, run after the catch, going down deep, uh, I think D.D. Westbrook is a major riser. Another rising wide receiver three for me is Curtis Samuel, up to 91 overall. It's a little bit lower than the experts, and I kind of want to make sure I'm just as high, if not higher, because this is a guy I really believe in. He started to really pick it up last year. He had seven touchdowns. Uh, uh, and a very low touch rate right there, and only 13 games played, very low usage, but he was a playmaker all over the field. He brings a 4-3-1-40, uh, but he's historically last year was kind of like the bubble screens or deep balls, wasn't really a complete receiver. Uh, coming out of college, he was more of like that hybrid style Percy Harvin guy, but what I love is everybody's been raving about his route running this offseason. You know, Ron Rivera, light years ahead of where he was last year. North Turner, the offensive coordinator, an outstanding route runner, he called uh, Curtis Samuel. Every Everyone from Christian McCaffrey to Torrey Smith is saying, I've never seen someone make such a big improvement uh, over a two, uh, just a year in an off-season span. So everyone has just been gushing about Curtis Samuel. And you watch any type of tweet or anything popping up about Curtis Samuel in practice, and he's just roasting secondaries. He's destroying the Panthers' DBs. Uh, so I think this is a guy primed for a major leap in terms of what he's doing in the off-season play, uh, what he's done in terms of becoming a route runner. And there's just a funny little, like, if you're into superstition, it's he has a... He himself said it took two years in high school and then the third year he broke out. Then he got to college, he was injured or what have you, took two years, and then third year he just dominated and became a threat. And now this is his third NFL season. He kind of said, you know, maybe it follow that three-year trend. I'm ready to explode and become one of the elite in an offense where it's really only DJ Moore, maybe Greg Olson can stay healthy. There's tons of volume, though, available for Curtis Samuel. Ron Rivera especially cited his conditioning, saying now he can finally play a full game. When he played full games, he had double digits in all of them except one. So this is a guy that's going to be on the field for every play, every snap, and his insane speed and now apparently his insane route running are going to be used to the fullest. So I love Curtis Samuel. The last one I kind of like even more than both of these guys potentially is to show Sean Jackson, just nowhere to be seen on expert rankings, falling to like 120 right now. Uh, but to me, I have him at 92, so 20 spots higher than the experts right now. And I think he is an unbelievable wide receiver three with such insane upside because of the perfect marriage of his deep ball skills and Carson Wentz's strong arm and the chemistry those two are building. Uh, so with D-Jax, in terms of highlighting, does this guy still have it? Is he is he too old? Does he still have the speed? Well, last year, uh, well, for one, he's the active leader in yards per catch at 17.4 in the NFL right now. It's insane that he averages that per catch. Uh, but number two, he reached 20 miles an hour or more on eight of his 52 touches last year. That was by far the highest percent in the NFL uh, blazing speed. With that, his average depth of target, his A dot, was 19.1 yards. So they used him in that vertical role and he was thriving. He had the highest yards per catch last year at 18.9 in 2018. So he still was getting it done deep. You don't need to question what does Deshaun Jackson bring to the table. He still has that speed uh, and he still flourishes. Seven catches that went over 30 yards last year led the NFL with that. Uh, all four of his TDs were over 30 yards. 
yards. And when he had a quarterback with chemistry, that was Ryan Fitzpatrick. For whatever reason, he just never has gotten done with Jameis Winston. Jameis Winston kind of likes to dink and dunk it to the middle of the seams, the tight ends, the running backs a little bit more. But when he had a quarterback willing to gun it out to him, uh, he was the wide receiver eight for that early season span with Ryan Fitzpatrick. This guy was dominating last year. And then you bring in Carson Wentz, a uh, very powerful arm. His advanced analytics with the deep ball haven't been great. He's just 23rd in deep percentages uh, and 26 for touchdown or to interception ratio on the deep ball. But he ranks seventh in the deep accuracy percentage. So a lot of drops from his wide receivers when you actually do the stats out. Uh, he's got the cannon arm. And when you bring in Deshaun Jackson, on average, the completion rate in the deep ball has improved by 7%, additional 3 yards per attempt for his quarterbacks, an improvement of 0.65 in their touchdown-to-interception ratios. So that would bring him to right around a 2-0 to, to zero touchdown-to-interception ratio for Carson Wentz. Uh, that's great. And the fact that's even better, when we talk about chemistry, again, wide receiver 8 when he had chemistry with Ryan Fitzpatrick, the rapport has been apparently unstoppable between these two. It started in OTAs. They worked out every single day after practice uh, trying to hone that chemistry chemistry and it, it's gotten to the point where they call it automatic it's it's translated into camp even with the pads on it's still been quote unquote automatic uh and every day it grows said Wentz whether it's on the field and you see it in live reps or we just do it after practice uh chemistry just continues to grow and it's really exciting every single day if you read an Eagles practice report it was Wentz to Deshaun Jackson again for another 50 yard touchdown and the scrimmage between the teams 30 yard touchdown everything has just been Deshaun Jackson Deshaun Jackson and Deshaun Jackson. He's going to catch a ton of deep balls. I think, and they're saying he's using a ton of like whip routes and stuff. And that, you know, Eagles reports that were covering when he was first with the team have said the way his route running has improved is insane. He'll, he'll stop on a dime 20 yards down the field. And the defense is biting because, you know, they, they're playing so far back. You just get these huge chunk plays because they're respecting the 50 yards trying to prevent that. And his, his route running has been insanely improved. So Deshaun Jackson, someone getting no fantasy love at all that I think. Think brings a, a, limit, a, a limitless ceiling. So for you know the price of 120, you're talking at a, a 12th, 10th rounder or so. You gotta get Deshaun Jackson on your late radar. Uh, drink some water. All this talking is making me dehydrated, and so much info. Loving this. I think that's a great call. Thank you, Austin. I'm gonna I'm gonna get that water in me right now. I'm like sweating because I got like the lights over here. Jesus Christ. Mm. So at their ADP, you taking Samuel over more? It's a great question, Mikey. Uh, after talking about Curtis Samuel for as long as I did, uh, at the prices, yes, I'd rather have Curtis Samuel at his price. If it's one or the other, I do still love DJ Moore. His run after the catch abilities are insane. So I'm a big DJ Moore fan, uh, and I'd still take him over Samuel. But he's coming, you know, 30 picks before you have to take Samuel. So in that range, I'm much more likely to go after, you know, OJ Howard or Hunter Henry, get my tight end, or sometimes David Montgomery falls. Or upside running backs are still there. So when I, DJ Moore, I often don't, I don't usually end up with him. Whereas I end up with Curtis Samuel uh, on most of the teams I draft. So great question. At their prices, yes, Samuel. One or the other, it's still DJ Moore in my opinion. But I'm ending up with a ton more Curtis Samuel. 
Uh, and Hunter or Ebron, I'm definitely going to go Hunter Henry there, Austin. I think Ebron's one of the biggest fallers of my offseason here in terms of tight ends just because they add Devin Funchess, uh, they add Paris Campbell, so you're looking at more weapons. And when Jack Doyle played, he was under like 40% of the snaps, so you're reducing the amount of time he's going to be on the field. Uh, you're, you're putting more big bodies, especially in Devin Funchess in the red zone, so that touchdowns, he had 13 touchdowns, was second in the league with that. Uh, that was a huge part of his value and a reason he was such a monster, and I'll still draft him, uh, but I don't see him scoring even close to 13 touchdowns again with much higher competition and, and with Jack Doyle healthy. It was kind of like a perfect aligning of the stars last year, and he did everything he could. He's still going to be a beast in the red zone, but I think you're going to get a lot more of those goose egg games where he just disappears than that. What about John Brown? I feel good. Hey, that's coming. Don't get ahead of yourself, uh, CJ. That's coming uh, in a little bit. So great question, Heggs or CJ, whichever one commented that one in from the Roto Street. I love John Brown, though, just as a as little uh, preview there. So some other sleepers, because the menu's not working at the moment. I'll get that fixed up. I apologize. Uh, but some other sleepers right now. Royce Freeman, I'm going to rapid fire through these because we do got to get to fallers and injuries. We're already 30 minutes in. And as Austin's pointed out, I'm kind of dying over here. Uh, so other sleepers. Royce Freeman, he's up to 109. He's risen on my big board uh, because Charles Robinson reporting they're feeling great about him. And they're finally going to establish that true split. And we're going to talk about fallers in a second. We'll talk about Lindsay. We'll go into this report a little bit more in depth. But they're comparing. Comparing it, uh, Rich Scangarello, who was with Atlanta just a couple seasons ago, to Devonta Freeman and Tevin Coleman, and he said Royce Freeman's in that Devonta Freeman big back goal line style role, so he could get a lot more touchdowns. He actually had more yards after contact than Philip Lindsay last year. More of his own independent created yards did Royce Freeman. So I know Lindsay. I love Lindsay. I think he's an unbelievable at just sniping through defenses. But Royce Freeman could really have a role. Uh, we can't ignore that anymore, especially in a, a very productive zone blocking scheme that kind of mimics what he did at Oregon for a while. Kalen Balaj, the next sleeper that's risen, uh, he's up to 30 spots right now to number 100 on my big board. It's because he's getting the first team reps to open camp. We're going to talk about Kenyon Drake a little bit in, in light of this too in a little bit on fallers. But first team reps have gone to Kalen Balaj over the entire preseason, including goal line drills. The invaluable touchdowns have gone to Kalen Bellage and not Kenyon Drake. Uh, he's been praised by Brian Flores for his work in the, the offseason, in the film room, in the weight room. He's just been grinding it out. And that kind of maybe is a little hint that Drake may not have been working quite as hard as Bellage. So he's earned some reps. Does it really matter behind such a bad offensive line? What projects to be a pretty bad team? Eh. And he's starting running backs worth a look. So that's a guy that's risen. And the last little sleeper uh, that's risen is Keyshawn Johnson. I uh, wouldn't start this guy at wide receiver, but man, as a last round pick, you can get him, you know, he's going he's going undrafted in nearly every league, but you know if you've been listening to me at all, I love the air raid. I think the Arizona air raid is one of the most intriguing storylines, and the clear-cut number three starter right now is Keyshawn Johnson. Who the fuck is that, you might ask? He's the sixth-round rookie they took. He came after Andy Isabella, came after Hakeem Butler, doesn't have the insane speed of Isabella or the 6'5 of Butler, but what does he have? Reliable route running and reliable hands, which neither of the other two have been showing thus far in camp. Isabel's been dinged up. He might be able to work in and steal a little bit of these snaps too, uh, but he's been apparently struggling with drops, as has Hakeem Butler in camp. Uh, so Keyshawn Johnson, the guy that's earned that third receiver role, they're going to go out in 10 personnel, four wide, more often than not. They're going to run probably the most pass attempts in the league. They're going to run at a ridiculous pace, and every report has said this guy's shown insane synergy 
was the word with Kyler Murray, especially on the intermediate crossing routes and whatnot. So who knows who's going to end up leading that team in receiving? Probably going to be Kirk or Fitz. This guy's probably going to be the third fiddle, but man, he's showing great chemistry already. He's getting rave reviews from his coaches and the owners. Everyone likes to see this guy succeed right now. Uh, and he's just been underrated his entire career. Came out of Fresno State where D Devontae Adams, he broke all of Devontae Adams' records. He actually went to the same high school as Devontae Adams, smashed all his records there. What if he keeps that trend going and smashes Devontae Adams? Is, I know, I'm getting crazy here. But he's, you can tell this is a guy that's just humble, works his ass off. He's earned that third receiver role. And I think a third receiver in this offense, it's kind of like the Rams. The, the th top three receivers are all in the top 20. I wouldn't be shocked to see Keyshawn Johnson make a huge fantasy impact. And you can get him in your last rounds. Alrighty, guys. Oh, and then the last one, John Brown. I got a question about him, uh, and, and he's risen quite a bit on my board. Uh, his quote-unquote, as CJ or Heggs, whoever it is, has alluded to, has been the most impressive player uh, so far through three days, uh, the early parts of Bills camp. And what I really liked about that report, not that you're the most impressive player on the Bills, it's not that hard to do, the Bills fucking suck. But what I liked about that report was it's not just as a deep ball. They're saying he's connecting on every deep throw with Allen. This guy does have insane ball tracking skills so I'm not shocked about that uh, and, and Josh Allen led the league in air yards per attempt last year so he loves to sling it he's got a great vertical guy and John Brown just still smokes down the field Smokey Brown was his nickname so I'm a huge fan of John Brown and, and the deep ball chemistry but what I also thought was intriguing here was apparently he's been by far the best weapon in the red zone too in terms of receivers he's getting great separation off the line uh, he's making plays in tight quarters he's going over people even at only 5'11 and we saw a lot of that happening with the Ravens in camp last year too uh, and we're seeing it again here with the the bills so he's getting it done in every single place he's a perfect mesh for that deep strong arm um, and, and I think John Brown could be doing a lot of damage alrighty guys let's get now to followers I'm gonna test out skipping to a new slide I've never done this so I hope it doesn't freeze I hope everything kind of stays normal here but stick with me for a second if it does and while that's going on I'm gonna answer some of these Pats backfield Sony Michelle or white uh, I think that's a great question Austin I lean Sony I do more half PPR leagues uh, and that's the higher touchdown upside. I think White's safer, especially in PPR, because you know he's going to still have that role. Oh, look at that. Did transfer pretty nice and smooth there. Uh, but I like Sony in terms of the touchdowns, and I love that every report so far is that he's excelling as a wide receiver in this offseason. Uh, it, it, eight for eight, he's caught Brady's targets. They're running him not just over Dink and Dunk, but apparently he's running a lot of wheel routes and all that good stuff. So I think Sony Michelle really crushing it in camp right now. Now. Um, and so to me, it's got to be him, even if White has a more secure role. I am a little bit nervous about Damian Harris stealing goal line work. Our guy Ryan Hannibal, our Patriots insider at WEI, came on our pod and said he thinks he could, uh, Damian Harris really could carve out that goal line role. And he's shown well as a receiver too. But that expanded role for Sony, who's looking just, if not more explosive, I mean, that stretch run, he was a hero for the Patriots. Uh, and if they use him similarly in like a 17 to 20 touch role, I don't know if I see that happening because of the Patriots and they're going to want to preserve him and they've always had shenanigans in their backfield. Uh, but he does come with the, the highest ceiling, in my opinion, of all the Patriots running backs. Uh, I like Rashad Penny a lot too. I think he'll split with Carson. I agree, Tim. I think I, I like to draft them both, especially at their prices. I think both are major discounts. I can see both of them being top 20 running backs because we call it the ground pie 
33 rush attempts last year. Uh, it's so huge. Led the league with that much. Led the league with 160 rushing yards a game. Uh, I think any of those guys could really crush it. Uh, even if it's uh, you know more so going to Carson. If he's the 1A and Penny's the 1B, that's fine. With Mike Davis out of his way, I can see Penny, who's in better shape, who's looking more explosive this year. I can see him really taking off. What's your take on Robert Foster? He's playing with the twos. So you, you bring in John Brown, who's, I just think, a better talent, more developed, more refined, does a lot of the same things in terms of the, the deep ball. Uh, but just as better at him. So Foster's got moved to the second team. And at first I was like, okay, you know what? He's just building chemistry with the new receivers. That's what they want. But he's never come back in. And a lot of them are saying his routes have been sloppy. He's looked every bit of the unrefined product that he used to be. So it's like he hasn't really taken that next step. Uh, so I'm not all that big into him. Uh, and he's going a few rounds later. Yeah, I agree, Tim, with that. Thanks for the, the kind words, Dan. And Matt, we're about to talk about Zeke, the, the leader of our followers here. I apologize already, but I'm going to take a quick sip of water. Ah, Alrighty, guys. Let's get back at this. So Zeke Elliott... If you live under a rock, you might not know. Everyone else already knows. This guy's holding up. Now, you'd think it might just be games, and he's just trying to angle to get that new contract. Apparently, he wants to be the highest-paid runner in the league, and he's got good reason. He's led the league in rushing two of his three seasons. The only two seasons he played all the games. The other, he was Witch Hunt Goodell'd out for six games, and he still was dominant in that span, too. you got to love the, the way he took on a newfound receiving role with 77 receptions last year, and I was picturing this guy was... The number one on my big board uh, until the, the holdout news. This guy, he had the receiving upside. He had 16 touchdowns as a rookie. So I was picturing this as perfect marriage of the touchdowns, of the receptions, and then just a dominant season, particularly because Kellen Moore is coming in as the offense coordinator. All that seems so good. But now this guy is apparently holding out, uh, and all the latest are, one, he missed August 6th yesterday, which would have meant he could accrue a new year uh, to free agency and get closer. He's still holding out, so that was one of the benchmarks we all had a, had bookmarked. He missed it. He's still not there. And then right as that, that news breaks, Josina Anderson of ESPN says Zeke will not play in 2019 without a new contract, according to people close to him. Uh, he's in Cabo. He's in Mexico. He's in Cabo right now in Mexico training. But that's, I mean, you'd rather him be in the States for sure. That's obviously a, a concerning sign. And what really concerns me is how dug in Jerry Jones seems to be on this. He's making ridiculous comments. I could see this going on for months. He recently said, uh, he said, you don't need a rushing champion to win the Super Bowl. Uh, he's just it's saying all these things that sound like he's going to continue to play hardball, that he's comfortable with the offer they've made him. And if he doesn't want to play on it, he's willing to go on without him. He's a, he, recently said Alfred Morris has the best instincts he's ever seen, including Zeke Elliott. So, I mean, he's Jerry Jones isn't doing him any favors to try to get this guy in and, and build good com, you know, companionship and try to get the, the spirit of everything better. He's just fueling the fire even more. And Zeke just seems to me kind of like a proud guy that, that's not going to take well to this. I really could see this thing lasting months, if not a full season, like Le'Veon Bell. So I'm real nervous about this. Uh, Matt, I apologize that you're keeping him and you've already turned it in. Hopefully he comes back because I think you got the number one player in fantasy if he does. But if not, uh, we're looking at a Le'Veon Bell style situation. So he's fallen to about 20 on my rankings right now. Uh, but if I was drafting this weekend, I know some people are psycho and already drafting. Unless it was best ball where it's all about you know upside, I don't know if I would draft this guy. In his absence, you got Alfred Morris gets brought in, has a feel for this offense already, has a feel for the blocking scheme, one of the top five lines in the league, a run-heavy scheme. 
well worth a best ball stab right now, but I really like Tony Pollard, who's apparently made tons of plays as a receiver out of the backfield, but the team is getting more and more impressed with his vision, with his patience behind that line. So I think you got to lock in Tony Pollard onto your late round radar. Uh, he's been crushing it in camp so far in Zeke's absence. So if Zeke doesn't show up, those two guys are going to explode up big boards. Uh, and either one of them could end up being insanely valuable. It's similar to that Melvin Gordon situation. We don't have that on the menu. We've talked about it a lot. But, you know, Austin Eckler, Justin Jackson, and Justin Jackson apparently just dazzling the team right now. Uh, any of those four guys, if you're drafting soon, get them on your radar. Radar, make sure they're on your team because if either or both of these guys hold out, those guys are going to be studs. And it just sucks in terms of fantasy-wise. This is two top five guys that are holding out right now. Our whole first round has been turned on its head, uh, but we got to respond. We got to react. Uh, so Zeke Elliott right now, he's falling pretty far. Uh, the next guy on this list, Philip Lindsay. And I'll preface this by saying I think Philip Lindsay's unbelievable. I love the talent. I love the vision. I love the acceleration. I think everything about it makes him a perfect fit for the new coming, uh, incoming zone blocking scheme that Kyle Shanahan system that Rich Scandrello is going to bring to the table as the ex 49ers guy. Uh, so I love Philip Lindsay. I think he's a fantastic player. So I'm prefacing it like that. Uh, but. What's his role going to be now? They bring in Theo Riddick. Royce Freeman, as we just talked about, is apparently forcing a near-even split. That's got to make you nervous uh, for Philip Lindsay. I don't know what's going on with the menu. I apologize about that, folks. I'll try to work on that for next time. Regardless, let's keep rolling here. Uh, so Philip Lindsay in a tough situation here. Uh, in terms of he could lose touchdowns. That between the twenty purgatory, we were nervous about for Carry On Johnson. We could see. Uh, Philip Lindsay losing touchdowns, losing receptions, a lot of potential negative things there, uh, potentially for Philip Lindsay. And as explosive as he is, you know, he only played on 48% of the snaps and 53% of the volume last year. So a really explosive guy didn't need a ton of work to get it done last year, but now it's going to be even less guaranteed volume. Uh, as great fitting of the scheme as this is, as great as he was in the zone runs, as much better as he was in zone runs compared to Royce Freeman, uh, Philip Lindsay, you have to be nervous about this year. Uh, he had 5.5 yards per carry in zone runs as compared to 3.8 for Freeman, but that doesn't seem to matter. If he's losing touchdowns and if he's losing receptions to Theo Riddick, who just brought in, it's going to be tough. So he fell to RB24, minus 15 spots on my big board to 50 overall. He goes from one of the guys I was targeting in every single draft, needed to have him on my team, to now a guy I'm probably avoiding, unfortunately. Uh, so Philip Lindsay, tough situation with Theo Riddick being added there. Another guy uh, that's fallen on my big board quite a bit, and yeah, Brad Evans does love Royce Freeman, Mikey. A lot of people have been raving about Royce Freeman, and honestly, I really liked him coming out of college too. I just like Lindsey a lot more. Uh, but another guy falling pretty damn hard on my big board is A.J. Green, the target hog, the alpha horse, the monster, prototypical X that everyone wants. Always getting injured. Paper mache is how our guy CJ described AJ Green, and paper mache is what we're getting. He's carted out of practice in the first day. I get the field conditions weren't great, and you hear all this other stuff, but he lasted 20 minutes of practice before getting carted off, and that's a just terrible sign for a guy that's really struggled with injuries throughout the last four to five years of his career. I can't argue how dominant he is when he's on the field. He's as good as anybody. He's a, just a natural pass catcher, a great big body, the entire route tree. 
opportunity. The upside is limitless in this new variation of the Sean McVay scheme. But he's apparently, the, the quote from, from Coach Zach Taylor is what makes me most nervous here. Uh, it's going to be a couple of games. Hopefully he'll be ready for the beginning half of the season. What the hell does that mean? Is he going to be the PUP and miss six weeks? Is he going to be back, you know, week one? There's just very few uh, moments of clarity in the situation, especially when you consider Green's injury history. Even if he comes back, how do you know he's not going to re-aggravate something? How do you know he's not going to overcompensate? I, I'm He's all the way down to 63, which means I'm probably not going to be owning A.J. Green in any leagues. Despite, you know, you get him as your wide receiver three, that could be insane upside. You could be getting a true number one receiver if everything pans out. So there is a point where I would draft him. But to me, he's probably going to be on my do not draft list. And that's bad news for Tyler Boyd too. Another faller, not on the menu there, uh, but another faller in my list. His splits without A.J. Green, not good. This is a guy that's like your your definition of needs to be the number two. Needs somebody drawing the attention away from him. Because when he didn't, when he didn't have A.J. Green, He goes from 17 PPR points per week to just down to 12. Loses nearly a touchdown a week because of that. He goes down from six receptions to four. So you think you're force-fed volume. Not quite. He was facing number one coverage, much less open, and didn't get the volume that he was once receiving. Uh, Touchdowns went down from a nine TD pace to a six TD pace. Uh, Overall, he goes from on pace for 1,275 yards to 995. That's a huge drop. Uh, And the PPR fantasy points, 279 with a AJ Green pace, 205 without him. That that drops you down to, you know, goes from like a top 10 wide receiver all the way down to like a wide receiver 36 or so. So Tyler Boyd becomes a guy I'm very worried about for however game, many games AJ Green misses. Um, what else do we got? Brad Evans doesn't know his ass from his elbow. Guy's been stuffed in the lockers his whole life. <laughs> nice eggs. Good stuff. Uh, and at their ADP, who you take, an AJ Green or Kirk? I'm definitely going with Christian Kirk, Mikey. And thanks for all the great comments this entire time, my man. Uh, great interaction the the entire time. But I go, I go AJ. I mean, I go Christian Kirk. You got the healthy guy. You got a guy that has just as much receiving yardage upside, at least uh, while he's out there in this air raid. The the number one receiver in this offense, the guy that played that offense in college, and he's going to be moved over into the slot, moved outside. I love Christian Kirk, and AJ Green just terrifies me. So they're right in the same range. I think I have Kirk at like 60 and AJ Green 63. But to me, unless I had like three receivers already and I just needed an upside bench guy, which at that point of the draft, I probably don't because you know I build the workhorse stable. I'm going to probably go Christian Kirk over AJ Green. Um, so that's a major faller. The next one on the list, I wish I could keep going down the menu, but now we're on to Kenyon Drake. I hinted at it earlier, but Kalen Balaj getting the first team reps, the first starter out there when camp opened, and he's maintained that role uh, already. So Kalen Balaj, the first guy in his way, you know, I was so all in on Drake. He only has to beat out Balaj. Obviously, he's going to do it because he's so talented. As a Patriots fan, I've seen this guy tear up our team week in and week out. You think Brian Flores knows that and how explosive he is. You heard Chad O'Shea talk about how involved he wants his running backs in this scheme. And then he goes and falls behind Kalen Balaj. Now, I don't want to overreact. Obviously, it's not a good thing. You got to bump him down. He falls down from, you know, the 50s to now like the 70s. So a pretty big fall down. But let's take it back just a little bit. They're listed as co-starters for the first part. 
Uh, the, a lot of people are now pegging him, which is what I kind of earlier was saying for Kenyon Drake. They're pegging him for that James White-style role where he's used out of receiver almost exclusively out of the backfield. Now, even if he is only a James White role, that would be insane for him because we've seen how the Patriots find mismatches with their running backs with James White. If they're using Kenyon Drake, who I think is 10 times the athlete of James White. As much as I love White and his reliability, he's not nearly as explosive a player as Drake in space at making people miss. Uh, this guy is incredibly dangerous. So if he's getting screens, he's getting wheel routes, he's getting those hitches where he just has to beat a linebacker, Drake's going to be crazy on those. And apparently as camp has gone on, uh, today even, the latest report was Kenyon Drake was the standout player of the day. Uh, They were using him on screens, uh, amazing speed to escape defenders and make something out of nothing was all on display here uh, today in camp. So Apparently, he's starting to, to level up and raise the ground. And if Bilal, this is a team that's probably going to be playing from behind a lot, which you, you work in the game flow. I think, you know, it was so easy to ring the, the death bell for Kenyon Drake just a couple weeks ago. But the more I've sat with it, the more I've done research, yes, he's fallen. Yes, he has to fall because he's not the starter anymore. And uh, he's probably going to get taken out the goal line. But I think in that James White style role, Kenyon Drake could be a monster. So don't just cross him off your list because all this stuff that's going on. I think game flow is going to favor Drake. I think he's going to be incredibly dangerous in a James White style role, even if he's not quite the workhorse we were hoping for. Um, the next and last one on here, I agree, Tim. I cannot wait to see Kyler Murray. I think that air raid offense is by far the most intriguing storyline of the season, uh, and, and I just can't wait to see how it unfolds. So the, the last guy I want to bring up here is Golden Tate. Obviously, he falls because of the suspension. Four games for, for a banned substance. Uh, it was apparently something to do with fertility. Whatever the case is, he's going to be gone for four games, and you're missing this guy for a quarter of your fantasy season now, and it already wasn't a great situation where, you know, who's playing the slot? Is it him? Is it Shepard? Both those guys played predominantly out of the slot last year. You got Eli Manning, which I guess plays in the Golden Tate's yards after the catch. He's led the league over the last three years in yards after the catch. And that's the style receiver Eli Manning needs when you can't push it down the field. But by the time he's coming back, who says it's not Daniel Jones, who has no time to work in any chemistry with Golden Tate at this point? Uh, so to me, Golden Tate definitely takes a huge stock hit. One, because he's playing with Eli Manning. Two, because he's on the shitty-ass Giants. But then now, obviously, three, he's missing a lot of time, a quarter of your fantasy season. I don't see any reason to really draft this guy. There's so many higher upside, you know, Moncrief or John Brown or some of these, Keyshawn Johnson even for the the Cardinals. There's just a lot of receivers who aren't going to be missing four games. And if you're going to stash somebody, there's a lot higher upside stashes than what Golden Tate brings to the table. Uh, so rapid fire here at the bottom with rookie wide receivers. It's just nobody really is impressing for the this crop of rookie wide receivers, despite a lot of them landing in some juicy spots. Nikhil Harry apparently has been struggling with drops in every Patriots practice. He, there's some positives. He's been dominating with his big frame in the red zone. He got praise from Pro Bowl or Darius Slay uh, for the, his work in the red zone and his imposing stature and the way he uses that big frame. They're going to need that with Rob Gronkowski out. So I like that. I like the touchdown upside, but I don't like the fact that he's struggling with drops. He's struggling to pick up the offense. And I especially don't like that an undrafted rookie free agent, something named Jacoby Myers, wearing number 69 right now, nice, uh, has apparently been the one dominating. He has caught 12 out of 14. He's emerged as Brady's go-to guy with Edelman out. Uh, he's 
consistently made plays in competitive situations, that's the guy that maybe needs to start being on your fantasy radar is Jacoby Myers. He's apparently, everyone says, Brady's go-to target. And when they're doing joint practices, the first three to four passes go Jacoby Myers' way in seven-on-seven. So he's been the talk of camp, whereas Nikhil Harry's been just a disappointment so far. So you got to downgrade Nikhil Harry a little bit while putting Jacoby Myers quite heavily on your, your sleeper radar here. Other than that, rookie wide receivers Andy Isabella, Hakeem Butler, we hinted at this with Keyshawn Johnson, but Andy Isabella struggling with drops, as is Hakeem Butler. Both have struggled with health throughout camp, and now they're distant behind a six-round guy. That doesn't bode well for their year one outlook, even if they're much more athletic and have a higher like long-term ceiling. To me, the fact that they can't catch the ball right now, and this offense that's predicated on the pass, is, is damning for the future. And the last two rookie receivers, AJ and Marquise Brown for the Titans and the Ravens respectively have both been uh, have not played a single practice. AJ Brown got hurt the first one. Marquise Brown hasn't been taken off the inactive list yet uh, and is a pip squeaks. He's going to get killed at the NFL level if he ever takes a big shot. Uh, and they're both in just disgusting run first, run second, run third style offenses and with quarterbacks that can't really throw the rock. I'm not a believer in Mariota. I'm definitely not a believer in Lamar Jackson's arm. I love his rushing upside. But to me, they're already in bad situations. Now they can't get on the field and, and build themselves out a role. So I don't like either of those guys. Uh, so Marquise Brown, AJ, didn't like him anyways. I hate the fact that they're not getting on the field. Now let's transition to our last slide. I'm going to kind of rapid fire through some injuries. And of course, keep the questions uh, coming. Does Shepard's value rise with Tate out? I have Shepard actually planned on this next slide. And the answer though, let's get to it right now for you, Mikey is absolutely it rises. Uh, he's going to be the clear cut dominant slot wide receiver for this team. And he has the chance to carve out that role, carve out that chemistry. He already has it with uh, Eli Manning. I actually saw a pretty cool stat, cool stat, <laughs> an interesting, an enlightening stat, I should say. Uh, in their first three seasons, only two wide receivers have accumulated at least 190 receptions, 14 receiving TDs, and over 2,200, uh, 2,250 yards on under 300 targets. And those two wide receivers under 300 targets being the kicker there were Stefan Diggs and Sterling Shepard. So this guy has got it done. And a lot of people don't recognize how effective this guy has been. You remove Odell Beckham, where he has he's had some of his biggest games through his career. He's dealing with a broken thumb himself. You see him there at the bottom of your, your menu here. So I'm talking about him because he's dealing with a broken thumb, but he's been cleared now to participate in the live drills. He's getting back into practice. Uh, he has that chemistry already established with Eli Manning. And now there's no one in his way from being that true number one receiver. Evan Ingram definitely gets a nice bump up too. Uh, and he plays at a rarer type of volu high volume position. Nobody sees volume at tight end. This guy could see 100, 120 targets, making him a huge steal at tight end. He's the one I'm more interested in. But Sterling Shepard definitely rises up the list. Um, otherwise, other an injuries that we got to run through and got to cover. Uh, the first one is Andrew Luck, who's apparently been dealing with a three-month calf injury. Sat out OTAs with a calf and now has been unable to get active at training camp so far. And the latest from Frank Reich was that Luck is not ready to take the next step in his recovery. I get that this guy dealt with injuries last year leading into the season, and then it ended up being much ado about nothing. Uh, but you got to be a little bit nervous that it's been three months with this calf injury and he still can't get onto the field. Uh, Luck says he's not improved pain-wise. He does say he believes he certainly will be out there for week one. 
but it's a little shaky. And obviously everyone in that offense, from T.Y. Hilton to the sleeper value of Paris Campbell to the running game uh, in terms of defenses respecting the pass, and Jacoby Brissett's and everybody's upside is significantly hit. In Ebron and Jack Doyle, all the tight ends, nothing good comes from Andrew Luck being out of here. So that's a must-track injury for the rest of training camp. Uh, so make sure you keep Andrew Luck and his calf on your radar. Early expectation is he's going to be fine, but it's still definitely a concern. Next one on the list there, one of the craziest injuries anyone maybe has ever had in the NFL Antonio Brown, a source close to the situation, says Antonio Brown is dealing with frostbite. Yes, frostbite on his feet after he did not wear proper footwear into the chirotherapy thing that he was whatever the fuck it was doing. One, that just tells you, is this guy truly committed to what he's doing right now if you don't wear the proper footwear? Or are you just completely stupid and moronic? Either way, I don't feel good about either of those things. Uh, but two, now he's out indefinitely. There's no timetable on this guy's return because of how blistered and frostbitten his feet are. Last time I checked, feet are pretty damn important for a wide receiver, especially one that relies on the quicks and the intricacies of the routes and everything like Antonio Brown does. And he also needs time to develop that chemistry with Derek Carr, get acclimated to full contact, the NFL speed, get it under, you know, get all that rush shaking off. It, it, right now, you know, the early report says there there's no worries about his week one status. They think he's going to be ready well before the season. But feet are tricky and frostbite. I'm no doctor. I have no fucking clue how long that lingers. But it certainly is not something I'm sitting here excited about if I'm trying to draft my wide receiver. That late round two range, whereas I had him with kind of the Mike Evans, Juju Smith, Schuster tier. If I'm drafting today, he's definitely fallen. Uh, he's, he's fallen to more so the T.Y. Hilton, the Keenan Allens. I'd probably still take him above those guys because... He's got the upside to lead the league in targets. They got really no one else to throw to. They're going to be playing from behind quite often because the Raiders are the Raiders and they suck. Uh, but ultimately, you never know with these feet. If this thing lingers, if his mind's not right, if this suggests anything that he's not in the right state of mind for the football season, which, is, you know, how could you be if you're fucking getting frostbite? I don't know. Uh, it's got to be a warning sign, a red flag. I definitely take Mike Evans and Juju above him, When whereas before Antonio Brown could have been part of that conversation. It's not really close for me anymore. Who do you have? Where do you have Ingram ranked? Uh, Omar Foster asks at Frostbite, getting some laughs. I know, right? Frost fucking bite. Are you kidding me? But Omar Foster, where do I have Ingram ranked? He's right at my tight end five. To me, that's kind of obvious, the big three. You got your Kelsey, your Kittle, your Ertz, whatever order you want to put him in. To me, I have OJ Howard next. I think he's the next one to break into the elite, a freak athlete, 16.6 .6 yards per catch, both of his professional seasons. 6'5", runs a faster 40 than Mike Evans at 4.51. And you get Bruce Aarons. He has a history where a lot of people, oh, he's never used his tight ends. He had fucking Rob Hausler and Jermaine Gresham to throw to. He's all about, you got to kind of read between the lines here. Not look at his tight end usage, but look at what does Aarons like to do. He likes to create mismatches, and he loves to calls it no-risk-it-no-biscuit style offense. He loves to get vertical and tack teams deep. Uh, so in terms of that style of offense... Nobody fits it in better. Nobody's a better mismatch than fucking O.J. Howard. So I think he's going to be used all over the place. He's going to get moved all over, and he's going to dominate. So I love O.J. Howard. But after that, 
comes Evan Ingram. I think he's going to see more targets than O.J. Howard. I mean, he's just as athletic as O.J. Howard. I just don't like the surrounding talent and the, the scheme quite as much. Plus, he has those injury concerns after missing time in both seasons. But Evan Ingram, just as high of a ceiling as pretty much anyone out there. He's my fifth right ahead of Hunter Henry. Those two might swap, though. We'll see how the preseason's developing, how Hunter Henry's health is looking and all that stuff. Um Last few injuries to cover here. We covered Sterling Shepard, so we just have Damian Williams and Derek Henry left here. And then if you guys have any other mailbag questions, keepers, any type of that stuff, keep them coming. It's been great interaction. I love this stuff even if I can't breathe because I keep talking so much. Uh, but Damian Williams, he's been dealing with a hamstring injury. Now, he did return today. Actually, as we're recording this, he returned to practice today. But a concern, he was still running behind Carlos Hyde and even some of those other running backs. Now, I, I get it's probably just easing him back. You can't just have a guy come off of the injured reserve and throw him right in after these guys have been working their ass off for a few weeks. So I understand that. And I don't expect that Carlos Hyde's going to enter the season as the starter. However, I don't like the fact that the door was open for Carlos Hyde and that he has apparently, according to all reports, been dominating and showing great burst and, and ripping through the defense and has looked good with that door open. Now, whether that results in Carlos Hyde carving out any type of volume for himself or, God forbid, a starting role, that remains to be seen, and I don't expect it. I think Damian Williams, you know, 10 touchdowns in six games, such a dominant force in the playoffs, especially during crunch time when the team needed him most. I don't expect that they're going to take it away from Damian Williams. But at the same time, you never know. Reed sounded apparently very frustrated when he said, you know, he's missing a ton of time. He's missing a lot out here, but it's been great for the other guys, he made sure to say and add on to that. Now, that running backs coach just kind of laughed it off and said, it's Williams's job. We're not giving it away. Like, he's he's been great in the film room. He just has to get out here and start getting his, his feet under him, but it's his job. Uh, still, the door has been opened. There's more risk with this guy. I still think very highly of this role, and I think I think very highly of Damian Williams. So, to me, I have him now more aligned with the ECR, which is right around the 2-3 turn, right around, you know, pick 24, 25. I have him at 21 right now. But before, he was my number 12 guy. He was right at the fringe of the first round. I was considering taking him over guys like Julio and you know Mike Thomas. But with this added risk, even if his upside's as big as anyone, he averaged 22.5 fantasy points per game in half PPR, trailed only Todd Gurley in pace when he became a starter. Uh, all that being said, this is a huge ceiling, but there's definitely a little bit more risk added because he opened the door for Carlos William to come in and carve out a role and apparently hides... Uh, done pretty well with that door open. So caught, tread a little bit more cautiously with Damian Williams unless we see and hear otherwise. And the last one on there is Derrick Henry. A lot of just complete uproar when we found out that he's in a walking boot. God, not the walking boot. But everything since then, calm your, your asses down here. Uh, it's one, a strained calf. Nothing too crazy. Ian Rappaport saying the Titans are not worried about it at all. They're just taking it easy because they know this is their kind of centerpiece to the offense. It's been all the talk. Arthur Smith from Mike Vrabel. Everybody in the organization has talked about how it's going to be Derrick Henry's offense. After they all have cited that end of the year where he was the number one running back in fantasy, the number one running back in the league, ran for nearly 700 yards in like a five-week span, just steamroll just to put the Jaguars six feet into the ground single-handedly and was dominant. He, he truly was unbelievable over that span, averaging over 30 fantasy points 
a game, winning people titles if you started him down your stretch run. He's a guy that gets better with volume. There's tons of stats that support that. His carries 1 through 10 are, you know, 26 per, per yards per attempt, whereas he then starts to average about 6 yards per carry from carries 11 to, like, 25. So he's a guy that, that does, you know, you look at him, and Nick Saban has said, it's the only guy I've decided to really truly ride because he just does get better. I can't truly explain it, Saban said, but it, whether he's wearing down the defense, whether he he just gets his confidence up as he gets fed. This is one of the few guys that just truly is significantly better with volume. And everything has indicated he's going to get the volume. So I still expect this guy, despite the early walking boot, despite the calf, I still expect Derrick Henry to pick up where he left off, rush for, you know, 1,400 yards, maybe 12 to 15 TDs. The fact that he's now falling to, you know, late round three, sometimes even round four because of these walking boot concerns is absolutely insane to me. I think he will finally be unleashed. I know he's had his soft moments and has not run up to his fullest potential by any means. When you're as Von Miller measurables, this guy should be steamrolling. But apparently had a good conversation with Eddie George and just like really started to lower that head and get it going. Uh, so to me, Derek Henry, a guy that there's tons of worry and fire and everything. Oh, brimstone, get rid of Derek Henry. He's falling around three now, which is insane to me. I am at 27 on my big board. I feel very strongly about Derrick Henry, uh, and, and I'm not too worried about all this stuff going on. Alrighty, guys. So this is our first Monday market check on Wednesday. Of course, <laughs> makes sense. But we're going to be doing this, you know, next Monday, the Monday after, the Monday after for the next 20 weeks. If you liked what you saw here, where we just reevaluate what is everyone's value after this week of action. Uh, we're going to do it for the preseason. We're going to do it for the regular season. I think it's super important to kind of reevaluate and see that season-long outlook, uh, analyze the usage, analyze the trends, see the injuries. Uh, so if you guys liked it, let me know. DM me, comment it, share it with anybody you're not facing um, so I can get better if there's anything I can improve. But for a first one... I'm thrilled. 48 comments, great interaction throughout. Uh, some of you guys might have stuck with me listening to this rambling buffoon for 45 minutes, so I hope you appreciate it. Those of you listening to this on the podcast, instead of tuning in live, if you want to catch it live, Mondays at 7 on Facebook Live. We're going to be doing this every Monday. Uh, if you want to get the live one, we'll obviously replay it on the podcast next. FFBDPod.com is where you can find the podcast and the show notes and all that good stuff. RotoStreetJournal.com is our home base socials, Roto Street Journal on Instagram and Facebook. Obviously, you know that if you're watching Facebook Live right now. Me personally, Roto Street Wolf, hit me up on Twitter, request a daily draft wizard every day right around 5.30 doing live mock drafts. All that shameless plugging. Let's get to your questions now, though, because we've got a few more. Unless Hyde completely outplays Williams in camp in preseason, I wouldn't worry. I agree. I I'm with you. I'm not overly worried, Mikey. I'm just saying there's a little more risk than what was there. And if Hyde does show well in this first preseason game, let's see, he catches a screen and rips it 40 yards up the field or knifes through a defense for a touchdown and just starts to really carve out a, a role, you got to be a little nervous. Uh, and then one other, are you watching Hard Knocks? I actually haven't seen the first episode yet, and I've heard it's kind of bland, not too great. I'm going to watch it tonight. Uh, I had a ton to get done, and uh, it's just been crazy trying to get this show up and running and get all the mailbag caught up. But yes, I am going to be catching up. I'm intrigued to see what happens, but I am very disappointed that Antonio Brown's not going to be able to be at full health for a lot of this. I was very interested in watching him run those gorgeous routes and those sick catches. Hopefully we get some of him. I heard they didn't even show any of Josh Jacobs either. That's like one of the, the best parts about this team is Josh Jacobs as a, as a rookie. 
I, I want to see how he's doing and looking as a receiver. Alrighty, guys. Thanks again for tuning in. I'm the Wolf. Until next time, see ya. We used to have it all, but now's our curtain call. So hold for the applause. Oh, 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 oh. And wave out to the crowd and take our final bow. Oh, it's our time to go, but at least we stole the show. We stole the show. At least we stole the show. Straight ahead. Devlin. Second effort. Third effort. Touchdown. Oh. That's pretty awesome. That's old-fashioned football right there, folks.